Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using our ministry to impact lives. So if you have a story to share, please email us at impact at jfc.org. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, go to jfc.org and click on the Give tab so that we can keep providing messages just like this one to you every week. We're in our current series, Faith, where we're walking through what it looks like to trust God no matter the circumstances. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Brenda Hilgers. My name is Terry Hilgers. I was called into ministry at the age of 15. A missionary had come to our church and totally boring, but at the end he asked the question, simply how many of you would like to give your life in service to God? God spoke to me in an amazing way. I responded, uh, our church had an altar. I went to the altar. I experienced an amazing power and presence of God that literally lasted a couple hours. And uh, they actually closed the doors of the church and left me there. But it was like a second in God's presence. But then I very clearly knew that God had a calling for my life and my ministry. Well, I went to Texas in November the 2015 and my sister-in-law had passed away from cancer. I had two sister-in-laws diagnosed with cancer close to one another. And um, at the end of that visit, I wasn't feeling very good. So when I got home, it just I thought it was because of travel and stress. And I got home and I still didn't feel good for a while. So finally I went to the doctor and just thought it was, you know, not, not a big deal. But um, so then just after tests and continuing to find out, they called me one day and I was at Bed, Bath, Bed, and Beyond. Bath and Beyond. <laughs> and uh, they, he told me, I, I don't want to have to tell you like this, but, and I said, oh, I can take it. And so he, then he told me I had cancer. So I, I had such a peace come over me though. It was just a craziness that I hadn't experienced with the Lord. So there was a peace that came over me and. She had peace, but I didn't. I just, my thoughts ran crazy. Uh, I remember the drive home from the store to our house and we didn't talk. It was just trying to absorb it and understand it. And I remember that night going to my basement, which is where I go to pray, and just crying out to God, kind of like trying to figure this thing out. Never made sense. Our life was good. Our ministry was good. Our marriage was good. Where in the world would cancer come from? No history, no backdrop to that. It's just out of the blue. And I struggled. First couple nights, me and God had a lot of conversations about why in the world would this happen to us? I'm sure everybody feels that way and I understand it. And I struggled. It was hard. So I didn't have that peace first um, in the process as much as she did. But eventually it got there. Just God began to speak to my heart about some things in the beginning. And I want to just say we weren't there. It took a while and it's taken two years of continued process that God teaches us more about Him and what He's doing in the middle of this. We came together um, and worked out the plan, you know, to what, how to uh, approach this. So I think that was just a, a really good time of us coming together and letting God help us work out that part. That was a hard part for me. I learned that God is faithful no matter what we're going through, He is faithful. His goodness is always good, and it's hard to see that sometimes, but I never had to question 
him because I know that he is good and he works for good for us. And so there was a lot of sadness, but there was never anger or bitterness towards the Lord. I think for us, one of the most amazing things was when we uh, was going to our first chemo treatment. Uh, we were, it was on a Tuesday and we had our executive staff meeting and Pastor John just gathered all the pastors and uh, we sat down and it was, wow, it was just a very powerful moment where we were just assured by God. And John asked us specifically, what do you want God to do? And Brenda shared these things. I said, well, I would like to have my appetite back. I had not been able to eat. Um, I would like to be healed. <laughs> and I would like to have the Lord be glorified in everything that we do. And no matter what, he not only has this, and if your faith is in the this, you've missed the faith. The faith isn't in an event or something miraculous. The faith is in God. And I know today, and we've lived this and we understand this, that God's got us. And that's all we need. story of faith, huh? Um, know that there's several other stories just like that sitting out here in the congregation or at our campuses or on live stream. We would love to hear your story of faith. Just email us at mystory@jfc.org and let us know. I think the Bible is clear about the power of our testimony and uh, whether it's enduring through the storm or whether it's walking through it and seeing the victory side. Um, faith comes in all different shapes and sizes. So my name is Jonathan Wood. I'm in charge of the creative arts department, the production arts department. Usually you'll see me running around with a different kind of headset on, bossing people around and carrying this podium. But today I want to share with you about faith in the storm. When I was young, uh, my family, we'd go on road trips all over the country and, you know, we would stay, we would, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, and those trips, you know, two, three-day trips, and we would always stay in a hotel room, and as kids, we used to love that because we could go swimming in the swimming pools. It was like, yeah, you know, e even if it was a cheap motel, that's how it was, and I just always remember our wake-up call was my mom turning on the weather channel, and it's, it was like clockwork. She would turn it on. She was looking for the forecast, obviously, for that day, uh, see if any bad weather was coming. And every time, every time, I can just hear it now, like, oh, right now here in uh, Tennessee, we've got a good uh, storm coming in. And it began to be like a nostalgic thing where now I love the Weather Channel. <laughs> it's just like Weather Nation, Weather. it doesn't matter. Like, I love to just sit and watch the forecast, my family knows this. They're here on the front row. They're like, oh, do you have to watch the Weather Channel again? All but one, my second daughter, Grace, she shares this affinity with me. So we'll sit down and watch the Weather Channel together. We actually love, at the, in the evening they show shows like uh, uh, Weather Gone Viral. Her favorite is So You Think You'd Survive. Um, that's it. She's always like, do you think you'd survive, Dad? Um, 
we watch all of these shows in there and, and we'll sit and we'll be like, whoa, did you see that? You know, uh, top 10 hurricanes and tornadoes. It was like, oh, wow, do you see that reporter? Can't even stand up. And we're kind of laughing about it. And, uh, and then it showed this storm. It was like a tornado and it, it blew through this uh, town. Now, like, I love watching weather. I always have. In fact, my wife and I, our first date in 1996 was to the movie Twister. And um, I was like, you want to see Twister? And I love the movie so much, I bought a two-part two VHS tape uh, of a documentary of tornadoes that I made her watch over and over again. So today, I'm kind of like, why do I have this? Like, how did she stay with me? I, I was that nerd. But in any case... We were watching this one part and a tornado is coming in and it literally picks up an entire house and the house just gets obliterated. And I go, whoa, I thought that was only possible in the Wizard of Oz. I'm like, did you see that? And then all of a sudden I felt like God spoke to me. Just put this sympathy in my heart. That was, that's someone's house. I just, that's someone's family. These are people, actual people who have to walk through a storm. And then God brings it further and says, Jonathan, there are other types of storms that everyone's going through that you can't see because they're not broadcast. Amen. They're not on TV. No. Marriages that are going through the storm. Financial situations that are going through the storm. People who are wondering if the next day is worth living. And we can't see it. We don't hear the reporters always reporting about it. And so God just put these three things on, on my heart concerning learning about faith while moving through the storm. And I feel like that's a word today. It's brewing in my heart. I feel like God wants to move. And so give me a moment and let's just invite God's presence in here to speak to everyone's heart where they are and just allow him to do that. So Father, we invite your Holy Spirit. We know that without your anointing, God, these words just fall, God, dead to the ground. They just fall on ears, good things to hear. But God, we want them to go into our hearts and minds. God, this morning I'm not asking that just men do work or, or whatever it might be. We want the Holy Spirit to do the work because it's the only thing that lasts. So come and do what only you can do, God. Come and show us, Lord, how to navigate through these storms. Or God, even more, show us your purpose for us in the midst of these storms. So come, Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord gave me three things. The first thing he said is when we go into a storm, we need to recognize who we are. And maybe more appropriately, it is who we were if you've come to Jesus, if you're a believer. It's who we were or who we are when we come to him. Our frailty, Romans 3 says, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that there is no one good, no, not one. So no matter how good you feel like you are, there is a pit for every single one of us that is too deep for us to climb out of. And until we get this one simple point, we're not going to get any other point. And that point is this, you can't get out of your own pit without the help of God. 
Jesus chose his 12 disciples in such an unorthodox way. You know, most rabbis would have chosen their disciples. Oh, this one is accepted. This one's great. Jesus did it differently. In his day and age, uh, rabbis were like the superstars of the region, especially in the Galilee. They would teach their students at a young age, and the exceptional ones would rise up. And when these rabbis would come into the towns, these students who have literally memorized the entire first five books of the Bible, memorized by the age of 10, come out and, and they're out waiting. Oh man, can't wait to see this rabbi. They know who they are and the rabbis will come out and, and these, these kids basically would go up to them and say, can I follow you? Can I follow you? Can I be your disciple? Hebrew word talmudin, which is different. It's not just let me follow you and kind of glean a little from you. It's the, the word they use is follow in the dust of your rabbi, which meant be so close to him that you would be covered in his dust. Never leave his side. Learn everything he learns. Wherever he goes, you can go as well. That's what that word meant. And so these kids, come, can I be your disciple? Now, and then at that point, the, the rabbi would size him up. He would check his teeth and his eyesight, and he would get all of those things, and, and he would either say one or two things. He, the first thing he could say is, which means, come, follow me. And if that happened, that student was like, yes, I've won the lottery. I'm going. <laughs> It would literally, at that point, they would, for the rest of their lives, until they became just like their rabbi, they would follow him. Now, the other students, and trust me, there were a lot more who are in this category than the first. They would be told by the rabbi, you're okay, but you're not good enough to be my disciple. And those students at age of 10, 10 to 13, 14, they would go home and learn their family vocation. They would learn the occupation of their family. And they would forever have stamped on their heart an identity that said, just not exceptional enough. Not for God. I mean, I can, I can do the normal things, but... I'm just not good enough. There's something that I lack. So we know this then. Jesus comes on the scene. He's a rabbi and he's done miracles at that point. Many have heard about him turning the water into wine. And so he comes into town and he sees two fishermen on a boat. And he says, hey guys, have you caught any fish? It's Peter and Andrew. And they say, no, he spent all night uh, trying to catch fish. He goes, throw the net on the other side and they catch so much fish. And the next word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is, come, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. Now this is totally backwards for a couple of reasons. One, Peter is way past the age of this rabbi test. He's, he's, he's got a family, the Bible says. He's, he's in a boat that he owns, which is uncommon in those days. He is 
definitely got an occupation. It's fisherman. So he's past this prime. And he's not the one asking Jesus to follow him. That's how it would have typically been done. But it's Jesus going to him saying, I want you to follow me. Follow in my dust. Every day, don't leave my side. Wherever I go, you can go. Until you become just like me. And they say, yes. It's this first point. Recognize who we are. That we understand why Jesus chose men like this. One, because they failed the rabbi test. And two, because they were ordinary men. And God always wants to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He doesn't want to use the person, oh, I got this gift, I got that. Oh, let me show you, I'm the, the me monster, me, 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 I'm good. He wants to use the person that I don't have anything but Jesus. I'm a fisherman. In those days, everyone was a fisherman. What's so special? Oh, I want to use you. And guess what? 2,000 years later, they'll still be talking about you. Because I said to you, number two thing to realize when it comes to faith in the storm is to recognize who he is. Who he is. We don't serve some small God. You know, to, to these men, he says, hey, do this, and they see miracles. Well, they've seen miracles before. In fact, they've memorized in the Torah all the stories of the Exodus, of, of all the things that took place, the miraculous signs in Egypt. So they've, they've seen that. To them, he is, he is an extraordinary rabbi and possibly the Messiah who will physically bring back order to Israel. That's who he is to them, but they don't know something yet. Mark 4, 35 says this, tells this story. That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall storm came up and the waves broke over the boat. So this is a serious storm, guys. The waves Get this scene right now. They're breaking over the boat, so much so that it's nearly swamped, meaning it's about to sink. And then it says, Jesus was in the stern, which is in the back, usually where the captain would be, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples go wake him up and say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So he gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves, says to his and says to them, be quiet, be still to the winds and the waves and the winds and the waves died down and it was completely calm. So then he turns around to his disciples and says, he, he rebukes them. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They didn't know who was in their boat. They didn't know who was in their who was in their boat. 
See, because if they would have known that it wasn't just an ordinary rabbi or it just wasn't an extraordinary man, they would have realized that they had God incarnate, Emmanuel, in their boat. You see, this is so crazy because in the flesh, we want to see this story. I'm literally reading this story going, man... These disciples, that would be rough. I mean, they're not just normal. It's not like me going out and taking on the storm in a boat. You don't want to be with me, okay, if I'm that guy. Like, these are fishermen. They were raised on the sea. If anyone knows what to do, it would be them. And these guys are saying, we're going to die. Try to put it in perspective. If you're on a plane and hitting turbulence, you're like, whew, I hope we're okay. The pilot comes out, we're going to die. This is where they are. They're in that place and their trust is in the Lord and they turn around and he's sleeping. It's like one heavy ambient pill or something. My goodness, the waves that saying are crashing over the boat and he's sleeping. <laughs> and so they wake him up and they say, Lord, have you ever been here? Don't you care that we're going to die? What is it about the storm that gets us to doubt his love for us? I mean, it's so easy when things are going well. Oh, let me tell you how God blessed us. He got us the money to pay the bills this week, this month. It's so easy. But what is it about the storm that engulfs you so much? that you wonder if God even cares. Lord, don't you care? I'm dying here. I'm overworked. I'm overstressed, God. Lord, don't you care about my marriage? Don't you care about my child? Where are you? And it's like God's sleeping at the wheel and this story says he might be. God just spoke to my heart. And he said, you know, when I was going to destroy the earth, I came to Noah. When I was going to bring judgment upon Israel, I used the prophets. He said, when I'm sleeping, everything's okay. It's so backwards to think that way. Like, God, are you there? I mean, listen, I went on a turbulent flight one day. Uh, it was with my wife and my two oldest. They were too young to really even remember this. But it, it was normally a three-hour flight that turned into a five-hour flight because the turbulence was so bad. It was knocking us around. And that, at that time, I loved flying. I don't anymore, okay? <laughs> Just to clear this up. I mean, it's getting bumped around. The, the flight attendants can't even get up and... And I say, um, Gina looks over at me and she goes, are we going to be okay? And I said, of course we are. And then the plane gets hit this way. I've never gone sideways before. And I looked at her and I go, I'm not sure. <laughs> but you know what? I went to the flight attendant who was sitting there calm, reading a book. <laughs> 
I go after him. I was like, that was some turbulence. He goes, you haven't seen nothing. And I was like, huh. I was like, that means if Jesus is sleeping in the boat, if he's cool, then I'm cool. If he's good with it, then I'm good with it. Because he's in my boat. Oh, it's God that's in my boat. I mean, it's dawning on some of us. Like, in the flesh, it's like, they should, should, should have been freaked out. But in the spirit, they should have known. Whether they woke him up or not, they were getting to the other side. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And the entire story begins like this. It says... That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, what? Let us go over to the other side. Sometimes we hear things from the Lord and it's just like, okay. But to God, that's a promise. If he says to you, let's go to the other side. If he says to you, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. And I love how he says, let's. It's not like you go. He's saying, let's go to the other side. And it doesn't matter how many times that your flesh lies to you, that the enemy lies to you, that you tell yourself that you're not good enough, or how many waves, or how much wind comes. If he said you're going to the other side, you're going there. And if they would have known who was in their boat, they would have known, sink or swim, we're getting on the other side. Because Jesus is in our boat. Woo! Storms sometimes come to teach us that type of trust, that type of love. You know, I don't want my wife to only love me when she likes me. I don't want you to only love me when you like me. See, but the only way to get past that is sometimes the messy love. It's when... Not, not when you first see the person, and I, I tell this story, like the first time I saw my wife, she was an angel. She was radiating like beauty. And then we got married. <laughs> and she realized I didn't radiate the same beauty. But it's in those times of betrayal. The times of hurt. The times of no matter what, we're sticking this out. We're staying together. And you know what? I don't like you that much right now. Anyone who's been married any length of time knows exactly what I'm saying. Don't like you very much right now. You're very, very ugly to me right now. But I love you. I love you. And sometimes those storms teach you what true love is and separates your emotions from your commitments more than anything else. Having faith in the storm is realizing even when the storm passes, you're not going to be the same. Hmm. So Jesus wakes up like a parent who's on a different level than these guys. They wake him up and then he goes... Uh, okay. You ever been woken up by your child in the middle of the night? I'm afraid. Uh, a few years ago, I was woken up by one of my daughters, and she said, Daddy, I'm afraid. And I was like, it's middle of the night, three in the morning. I was like, okay, what are you afraid of? She goes, Dad, too afraid to tell you. 
I was like, oh, okay. And she goes, can you just come to my room to pray for me? And I say, yeah, I, I can do that. So I get there and I'm like, listen, honey, just tell me what you're afraid of. I want to I wanna be your dad and tell you it's going it's to be all right. She goes, well, earlier I went to this candy store and there was this box game of jelly beans called Bamboozled. And it said that there's flavors like vomit. Now, I've gotten her permission to share this thing, okay? Vomit and puke and boogers. And you play this game, and if you get the bad one, it just tastes bad. If you get the good one, it tastes good. And she goes, Dad, it's just, it's really messing me up. I was like, I'd rather you tell me, like, there's, a mon- there's no monster under your bed. So I get woken up in the middle of the night because my daughter is afraid of jelly beans. I tell her, what are you so afraid of? I just never want to taste them. Then don't taste them. It's not hard. It's really easy. Just don't ever buy those. Grab those. You don't even have to have jelly beans. And this is how Jesus wakes up in a sense. He wakes up a little irritated. These guys are like, it's life and death. And he's like, calm down, wind. And he looks back at them and he says, Why are you so afraid? Haven't you seen all that's happened? And they are terrified and ask that question, who is this? Because they didn't know. Hmm. The last point is, in a storm, we need to recognize who we are in him. Because that's the place he wants to take us. Philippians says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's fast forward a couple years or a year uh, with this journey that Jesus is having with the disciples on the lake. Matthew 14, verse two, uh, 22 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray uh, by himself. And later that night, he was there alone. So this, in in the King James uh, Version, it would have said, by the first watch of the night, he was alone. Um, So somewhere around 10 to 12. And the boat was already a considerable distance. So it had gotten into kind of the center of the lake. But it says it was buffeted by the winds because, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly after dawn, so that's the fourth watch of the night. So... This boat, these men have been rowing this boat through the entire night, nowhere. Just stayed in the same spot. And so then, at dawn, Jesus sees them and went to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw Jesus, saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now Peter says this, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, something in Peter's mind goes back, goes back to the very first time Jesus spoke to him. Lek ekarai. Come and follow me. Go where I go. And something rises up in this man that he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. 
And Jesus says, come, follow me. So Peter gets down off the boat, walked on the water, come, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Listen up. And when they climbed back in the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, I just have a few thoughts to share on this story. The first one is Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. I never really noticed that before, but it starts off, and then Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Like a parent telling his child to get in the car. They're like, Jesus, I don't know if I want to go, and I don't think I want to go on the boat. Get in the boat. (laughs) And he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen to these guys. So it's, it's like... Jesus said, get in the boat and go have an awful night. I mean, like, I would have been, if I was in the middle of the lake (laughs) and the boat was going nowhere because this wind that we know he can talk to is against us. Anybody ever been on that spiritual treadmill? Oh, Lord, I'm reading my Bible. Oh, God, I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm believing. Man, I should be really far by now. I'm in the same spot that I've always been. And Jesus made me do this. That's the flesh, right? That's us. It's not natural for us to be like, oh, this is so easy. Thank you, Lord. No, I mean, like in the flesh, I would have been so frustrated. And then all of a sudden, he starts walking on the water toward them. Then they're freaked. Ah, it's a ghost. He says, no, it's not a ghost. It's me. Peter says, if it's you, if it's you. I'm not going to wait for you to get in this boat. See, because the boat always represents what we can build to do what God has called us to do. The boat has always represented our system that helps God do what he has called us to do. And sometimes God uses it. Sometimes he doesn't. And that's the place of decision, that's the place of extreme faith. See, because maybe God used the boat one time. I mean, we were in the boat. He was sleeping on it. He did, but that's not where he is now. See, he's on the water. The boat's now going nowhere. But he has made a long journey faster than the boat has gone an inch. So Jesus is saying (laughs) to some of you now, right now, you're glued to the boat. You'd like to stay in that boat. You know, yeah, you follow Jesus. You're getting to the point where you know who he is. He can do all things. But my entire life, to be in his hands that way, something rises in Peter that says, He called me to go wherever he goes, so I'm going to go. 
And he makes that big leap and he walks out and he starts walking on the water. Can you imagine that? I mean, church, it's time for us to start here. Stop hearing these stories as fables. This is real stuff. God can do anything. And Jesus is sitting, like standing there. Come. You could stay on that boat and continue to go nowhere. You've been doing it for years now, but I'm, I'm on the water. Lord, I don't want to go on the water. That's fine. Stay in the boat. But if you want to go somewhere, if you want to do extraordinary things, if you want to see the world change, if you want to see your family change, then it's time to decide I'm going to take that step of faith and get out of the boat. I don't want to be in the same place anymore. God, these waves, these winds have had me stuck. Are you there? Some of you, man, God has been speaking to you a long time. And he's not done. Because he loves to be able to amaze you. And he loves you. And he doesn't want you bound up by a man-made boat. Peter gets out. And the Bible says he starts noticing the winds and the waves and starts sinking. So he's, he sinks. God comes, picks him up. Why'd you doubt? Jesus is right there still, right there. He didn't say, you know, you deserve to probably drown. <laughs> this is one of a billion times you've doubted me goes and he, he picks him up. But I always wondered, like, man, how do you go from, like, extreme crazy faith to sinking? Like, what, what went in his mind? What in one moment? God, I mean, like, the first step, in my opinion, that would be a hard step. I mean, if I do that whole, like, ever accidentally walked into the swimming pool thinking you were going to land on a step... Not fun, guys. Not good. <laughs> Peter gets past that step. He walks yeah. on the water. And then something, something hits him. It says the winds came and he saw the winds. And maybe it was like, okay, I'm used to navigating a storm and the winds and the waves in that boat. Maybe it was that. Maybe he was kind of saying, should I, should I go get back in the boat? Or maybe it was, it dawned on him the words that Jesus had just said to him. Because he said, Lord, if you call me to come, I'll come to you. And Jesus uses the words, lechekarai. Which is what identified so many exceptional students years back. And maybe in that moment, Peter hears those words and remembers a rap, different rabbi long before who told him, don't follow me. You're ordinary. And you're not supposed to be here. Oh, I'm walking on water. This is incredible. Wait, waves are coming? Wait. Jesus said, wait. But what about everyone else who told me, 
I can't. What about everyone else that told me I was just ordinary? I'm just a fisherman. I shouldn't be walking on water. Some of us, man, our relationship with Jesus is based so much on our striving to earn that discipleship with him. But you got to remember, it wasn't you that asked him. It was him who asked you. And he said, wherever I go, you can go. It don't matter how old you are. It don't matter how past the prime you feel. It doesn't matter how many times you failed. Thank God. He called me. And he didn't just call me for the here and now. He called me into the future. Eternal life. And what these storms have done is each one has chipped away at their mentality each and every one, that this life is all there is. It's about more than this life. I'm not just a rabbi. I am an eternal God. I am not just a teacher. I am the son of the living God. In my kingdom, there is no son because I illuminate the entire place. In my kingdom, there is no sorrow because I have overcome the world. In my kingdom, there is only life, love, and peace. Just get through this time right now. Because the last thing you need to know about storms is that they pass. They were made to pass. It's only for a moment. When I tell, talk to people, I'm saying, hey, it's only for a moment, just passed. When I was young, before we opened Christmas presents at my grandma's, my grandpa would tell us, the, would read the Christmas story. And it felt like he was reading the whole Bible to us. It's like, get on with it, grandpa. It's time to open some presents. And then later on, <laughs> when I take my kids to grandma and grandpa's, great grandma and grandpa, he reads the story and it's... We're done. And I'm going, no. It's a lot longer back when I was easy. It's like, no, you were a kid. That's why it was longer. And Book of James says that this life is like a mist, a vapor. We'll look back at it. No matter how long you see your trial, have faith because you'll look back at it and you'll say it's only for a moment. It was only for a moment. It doesn't matter if it lasts your whole life eternity is so much bigger and what Jesus gave as a sacrifice was everything everything this life a mist we have a longer one to go so we're going to take communion and we're going to as Jesus said to his disciples do this in remembrance of Jesus. Because when you're walking on the waves and when you're walking on water and the wind comes, you want to focus on what you've done, your abilities. What am I capable of doing? Okay, wait. There are no tools for walking on water. It's when he wants your eyes on him.
Eyes on him, eyes on him. How long, Jonathan? Until the end and you see him on that day. Eyes on Jesus. As we take communion today, let's remember who he is, who we were, and who we are in him. Father, we give this time to you. Show up, God, in people's hearts. People who don't even know you, God, right now, reveal to them you are the son of God that has come to take away the sin of the world, to set them free, God. In this time of communion, I just pray that you would open up the heavens and God, show us your hands. Show us where you are and remind your people that wherever you've called us to go and whatever you've called us to do, you've given the power to make it so. I love you. Be with all these in the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.